Well, good morning. Woke up to a blinding headache. So, <clears throat> Jody brought me some meds a few minutes before we started, so I took those, and um, um, I feel like it's starting to ease a little, but we'll do our best. <clears throat> In 1999, I had a chance to go to what's called the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Hagia Sophia is, uh, was, for about a thousand years, the largest church in Christendom. And uh, it was built around 450 A.D. And, um, and remained the largest cathedral in the church until the cathedral in Sevilla, Spain, was built, roughly 1450s or so. Um, when I lived in Turkey in the late 80s, <clears throat> I didn't have a chance to go to Istanbul to see it. And so I went back in 1999. We were doing some earthquake relief, and I had a chance to go. And uh, it was a fascinating, it's a fascinating place. And um, we had a small group, and we had a little tour guide that took us around around the cathedral, which was turned into a mosque and then um, in around 1930 or so was closed down by the Turkish government and then reopened uh, a few years later as a museum. So when you go there today, there are elements of the old church that are visible and then there are elements of the mosque which are visible as well. So the two kind of coexist there in that ancient church. And so it's really a fascinating kind of a piece. And um, it boasted the largest dome in the world for a long, long time. And, um, and so there's to take a tour of it is really quite something. And so we had purchased a tour guide to take us around the, uh, around the cathedral. And about halfway through the tour, it became evident that our tour guide had completely lost any wonder of the cathedral itself. He was just kind of, you know, yeah, there's this, and we got that, and there's a big dome, and and that was just kind of the, it was like we paid this money for this guy, and one of the things that you wanted from him was like, you know, to give you the spectacular grand nature of this cathedral. And he was just kind of going through the motions. And someone asked him, how long he had been doing these tours. And he said, 30 years. Ah. He walked through the cathedral, and he no longer saw the largest dome in Christendom, which had been there for a thousand years. He no longer saw the amazing uh, technique and the, uh, the mosaics that were on the walls. Some of them... Uh, I mean, huge mosaics, vast. He, he no longer saw the contrast between the church and the mosque, between Christianity and Islam. He, he, it, was, it, it was just kind of routine for him. And it came across as routine to us as well. I don't know about you, I said last night, sometimes... Honestly, for a pastor, you get into the Advent season and, and there's a sense of routine to it and we have to work, right? We have to do something. We have to spend more time in prayer. We have to spend more time in the Word, you know, asking the Lord, Lord, please open my heart here. 
Let me see new things, wonderful things in your word. And it really is, as they say, like a diamond mine, right? I mean, you're still, you may find some little jewels, but you're still looking for the big one. If you're here this morning, it's Christmas morning, you're here, perhaps you've lost a little bit of that wonderment, right? A little bit of the amazing nature of the incarnation, of the passages that we read and the stories and the angels that have come down and made their visits and the songs that were sung and baby Jesus in a manger. This morning, I want to take you somewhere and and I hope that when you see it, it'll feel a little bit like the wrapping paper has been pulled back from heaven. And you get a little glimpse. And maybe a little bit of that wonderment will creep back in. And, and I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation 5, we have a heavenly host which... John sees singing two new songs. And so I want us to begin in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 14. And there's some imagery here. We're not doing a, we're not doing a full-blown sermon on Revelation 5, okay? You're going to get that starting in February. But you're going to get a little bit here this morning. But there's some imagery here, right? And, and it's intended to create a little bit of, whoa, what is this? What is happening? And that's okay. And let it do that for you, okay? Images that you're not familiar with and you haven't really seen much of in the other parts of your Bible. But then there's the new songs, right? And we've been talking about the new song that God gives to us. And the angels have two new songs and we're going to look at those. So let's begin in verse 1. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God 
persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. What a picture, huh? I mean, that's the wrapping paper pulled back. That's a little bit of the the veil of heaven lifted so that John could look and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then to hear the angels singing their new song, to, to hear the heavenly host sing these two songs. And I want us to look specifically, primarily at the first song and what it is that they're saying. Very simply, the heavenly host in that first song is singing about the work of the Lamb. What, what was the work of the Lamb? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. He says, because you were slain. Right? That is the credential of the Lamb. The credential of the Lamb is He was slain. He gave His life. He was sacrificed. But in that death, He purchased, and here's the key, He purchased for God. If you'll look in verse 9, it says, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God. What? Persons from every tribe and every language People and nation. But there's more. He also, having died, he purchased a people from every language, every tribe, every nation. And then he took those people and he transforms them into a kingdom of priests. And those kingdom, and that kingdom of priests is meant to serve God and to reign over the earth. Well, this is quite a song. This is, this is really amazing stuff. Jesus came down to earth. He was born of a Virgin Mary. He suffered. He died. He rose again in order that He would take people from all over the planet during every age to become children of God. And having purchased them, He made them into a kingdom of priests to go and to work for God, to serve God, and to reign on the earth. 
And that's what, what the angels, 10,000 times 10,000. You know what that means? You can't count them. That's what they're all gathered around singing about. And here's the remarkable thing. They know nothing of salvation. The Bible says that they long to understand what it is that generates excitement amongst the people who have been redeemed. Because they don't get it. Because they're not redeemed. Because they don't know grace and mercy the way that you and I know grace and mercy. Think about that for a second. They don't know and understand the grace and mercy of God the way that you and I do. Because they haven't been redeemed. And yet, they look at the redemption that Jesus has purchased, and they sing, and and myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of them gathered around the throne to sing the praise of the Lamb, because they recognize the significance of what He had done. He had purchased people from all over the earth in order that they would serve God as priests on the earth. Now there's a lot there and that's what I want us to spend a few minutes looking at. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. The NIV says that he purchased people. The, the better translation there is he, he ransomed them. He paid the ransom for them. Now if you think of the idea of of ransom, right? Someone takes something, they hold that something, and then you pay money in order to get it back. That's a ransom. And you would be right. And in this instance, what has taken humanity and held humanity is the power of sin and death. And so, Jesus has come and He has purchased us he is ransomed, he has paid the ransom for us so that we would be free from sin and death in order that we may live for God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is that ransom paid to? Have you asked yourself that? Who gets the ransom? Who Who does the ransom get paid to? If you say the devil, you're wrong. Because the ransom is paid to none other than God Himself. So, if you heard somebody, you know, we typically talk about, I've been saved. R.C. Spoil used to say, who, who are you saved from? And the typical answer is, well, I'm saved from the devil. No. You are saved from the wrath of God. That's what you're saved from. And in this instance, you are ransomed. You are ransomed from sin and death. And that ransom is paid to God. And that is, His wrath is turned away. The theological term that is is used in the New Testament is propitiation. So, He is a propitiatory sacrifice. He turns away the wrath of God from us and he takes it upon himself. Jesus literally bought you. He paid for you. He paid the ransom 
that was due to God for your salvation. First Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, what? From the wrath to come. So think about this. You and I, born into sin, separated from God. God, seeing the separation, wanting a people for Himself, sends His Son into the world, born under the law to fulfill the law's demands, that He would then offer Himself as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty due for our sin to God in order to redeem us and put us into God's family that we would serve Him forever. That's the story. That's what the angels are praising. That's what they are giving thanks. That's what they're excited about. Does that excite you? Excites me. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that he makes you and me a part of a great big family. He joined you with every other believer who has ever lived and who will ever live in what the Bible calls the church. The new Israel, the people of God, the redeemed the elect, Paul refers to them as. And he took this big group of people and he draws them together by his blood, by the purchasing of them, and he makes them into the church. And the Bible talks about the fact that God has adopted us into his family. He has made us sons and daughters. He's given us a place at the table. He doesn't, he doesn't look at you as orphan. He doesn't look at you as, you know, part of the family is kind of brought in. No, you're, you're, you're as much a part of the family as anyone. The Apostle Paul, yeah, you're right there with him. Moses, Abraham, Sitting at the table. And you're sitting right there with them. It's significant. When you look at the end of verse 9. That he's interested in people. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. No one's left out. No one's excluded. Everyone's at the table. This, this was startling news for the Jew. This was startling news for people who thought, who perceived that the Messiah was coming only for them. This was earth shattering. This was really big news. You mean like the Messiah is coming for everyone? Yeah, everyone. Every type of person you can imagine, the Messiah is coming for them. 
And here's what this tells us, right? As he is buying people from every tribe and every nation and everything, he's bringing them together. What that indicates to us is that community is really important. Right? Because he doesn't just redeem you. He doesn't just purchase you and then leave you out there to do your own thing. He purchases you and brings you into the family in order that you would rub shoulders with one another, in order that you would walk with one another, live with one another, dine with one another, share your burdens with one another, share your cares with one another. It's what the early church does at the beginning when Pentecost happens and they're all together. It says they were all together, the church was together, and no one had a need. Why? Because they were sharing everything, because they were looking out after one another. Because they understood he has called us here together, put us in this together, so let's do it together. And that's remarkable. And that's one of the things that's really special about the church. You can go anywhere around the globe. You can meet somebody, find out they're a Christian, and instantly you have a worldview in common that draws you into fellowship with them. You may find that kind of fellowship elsewhere and different sorts of things, but it isn't as deep and it isn't as wide and it won't go as long as the fellowship that comes through the suffering Lamb who took away the sin of the world. So He purchased you. He brought you into a big family. And third, He transformed you and He made you into a priest. Now this is strange, has a strange connotation to it. I'm a priest? Yes. He made you into a priest. He made all of us into priests. Now what does that mean? That means you have direct access to God. Because that's what a priest had. A priest accessed God on account of the people. He was the the go-between, the intermediary between God and the people. And so he went into the tabernacle. He went into the temple. He made atoning sacrifices for the people. He he was the intermediary. He, He was the one that was bringing those two worlds together. But Jesus has come. And now the priesthood is... That priesthood is done away with, and we're all priests. He tore the veil between the two, and He brought us together. And so, when He says that He purchased all of these people, and then in verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests. That is really significant. You don't have to come through me. You don't come through me. You don't come through Marion. You don't come through our elders. You come through the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Father. (laughs) That is remarkable. That's remarkable around the world because typically you have to have an intermediary. That's remarkable. It's a remarkable difference between us and other churches. This coming year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So, 
we will be, the, the church, the Protestant church, will be celebrating Martin Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg during 2017, because that's, that's our lineage. And Martin Luther made a really big deal out of this kingdom of priests idea. Because he lived in a day and age where the priesthood were the gatekeepers between you and God. And Luther said, hold on, I'm reading my Bible, and it says we're all a kingdom of priests. And out of that Reformation movement came this notion, a, a, a rebirth, if you will, of the idea that you and I have direct access to God. You offer your prayers to God, not through a priest. You, you, the, the priest you offer your prayers through is Jesus, and you offer them directly to Him, not through me, not through Marion, not through anyone else. And that is a really big deal. And Jesus did that in His death and in His resurrection. And what's remarkable is, that the heavenly host understood what a big deal that was, and they extolled. Listen, think about this. As John sees the veil ripped back, of all the things that the angels could sing about, they sang about, you're a kingdom of priests. And I, that we're a kingdom of, they sang about that. I mean, they had a limited and finite amount of time, right? I mean, John's attention span was going to blow up. I mean, his mind was going to shatter as he stood there and listened and watched. And so they sang a very short song. What, three lines? And one of the lines that they included in their song of, of all the singing they could do was, You are a kingdom of priests. You have made a kingdom of priests. That's how significant it is. And here's the, here's the final, well, the tail end of that is you're a kingdom of priests to do what? To serve God. Right? You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. Here's what Luther said. Luther said, it doesn't make any difference what your occupation is. In your occupation, you have the ability to glorify God as much as the priest who offers the Mass. That's the way he put it. Right? So if you're a mom and you're changing diapers, guess what? Glory to God. Right? You're, you're a part of a kingdom of priests and even changing diapers, he said, for a, a mother, the mundane task of doing that is a task that brings glory to God. So whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, as the Apostle Paul puts it, we do it for the glory of God. And so whatever your occupation, whatever your role, whatever it is, it's transformed by the very nature of who you are, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you get to bring glory to God because you are a priest. Because you're transformed. Because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And so whatever your job, whatever your task, there's not a, a secular and religious part. So now you look and you go, well, now hold on, but you're up there preaching. Yeah, that's my calling. That's my gift. That's what I do. That's what Marion does. But it doesn't mean that this is holy and what you go out and do is secular. It means that whatever function you have in the world, you give glory to God through it. 
And it's not all chopped up and diced up. And we come here, we do holy things here, you leave, you go out and do secular things out there. Now, everything you touch is for the glory of God. That's mind-boggling. That's angels, thousands upon thousands of them, singing about it. Mind-boggling. Here's the fourth item. Quickly. He says, you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will finally reign on the earth. This is a throwback that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Right? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve because they were given the task of ruling and reigning over God's creation. And so the angels are picking back up on that and they're, they're reminding John and us, listen, the purpose for which God created Adam and Eve was that they might be God's ambassadors here, transforming this world into a habitable place for God. And this is going to have ramifications later in the book of Revelation when you start hearing about a, a new heaven and a new earth and, and, and that we are ruling and reigning there. But, but for now, just, just settle on the, the smallish idea, which is really grand, that you and I reign. That is, we're a part of the subduing of God's creation for His glory. And, and that just meshes very nicely with the fact that we're called to serve God. So let me, let me ask you, where, wherever you are, whatever it is you do, do are you striving to serve God? To bring Him glory in whatever place it is you have. Whatever place it is that you have. It's challenging. Listen, you know, I'm often afraid if someone comes up to the church and they they begin to get involved and they do things, they're going to see just how secular we are, right? (laughs) Right? We really labor over this in in the chaplain's office in the in the military. Because there are people, right? They don't, they, they don't get, like, we're real people. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner. Hello. And all of the chaplains in the office are. And they get some really wild and crazy idea, like, I'm gonna, you know, this, I'm an aircraft maintainer or I'm a police officer or whatever. I just want to go work in a chaplain's office where everything's great. Yeah. And they come to the chaplain's office and we're like, dude, you came to the wrong spot if you're hoping for, Let me ask you, are you seeking to see the transformation wherever you are to give glory to God and the things that you do? That's a really great thing maybe to begin thinking about as we approach the new year. Whatever it is you do, wherever God has placed you, whatever gifts, talents, and abilities you have, that you're utilizing them for God's glory and His kingdom. Because that's your role. That's my role. That's all He calls us to do. Now, what's the result? So, that's what the Lamb did. He was slain in order for those things to happen. Now, look down at the result. The result is, again, 
heaven opened up even further, and 10,000 times 10,000 were gathered, and they simply sang a song of praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and wealth and wisdom and strength, glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's a really important phrase. You're going to hear a lot about the sea as we get into the book of Revelation, because the sea was the place of... Uh, hostility. And so it's interesting that they would say here that every creature on earth and under the earth and those who reside on the sea, all of them were saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the land be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. What did they do? They praised God. It was, it was, It was for them to see the Lamb, to know what the Lamb had done. So awesome that they just poured forth praise. So, we're at the end of the Advent season. Another Advent season for some of you. I don't want it to be like a tour through the mosque. Yeah, it's just a ceiling. Tour through the Hagia Sophia. Yeah, that mural. Yeah. It's about 1,500 years old. It's made of, you know, 42,000 tiny bits of glass. It's it's no big deal. Let me ask you. Is there some wonderment? Along with the merriment of Christmas for you? God loved you enough to send a son in the world to transform you to put you in to His family and to give you the most amazing task known to the heavenly host, to mankind, and that is to bring glory to God wherever He's put you. That's pretty fantastic stuff. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank You. We want to praise You this morning for all that You've done for us. What a grand plan that You would redeem us to serve You Bring glory and honor and praise. And you did it through the birth of Jesus. Father, give us a little sense of the wonderment again. Revive our hearts and our minds as we move into a new year, a new start. Father, we we need that sometimes. We need a restart. We need a redo. Father, let us begin to think on those things as we move into 2017. How can we give you glory and honor, praise, and the Lake Oconee area, do it all for your glory. We know if we do, it will be for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.